welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. Welcome everybody, I'm Sandy Chassel. My day job is as a business coach for financial and insurance professionals who are already successful but looking to get to the top of their profession and maybe to accelerate that. And this is Top of the Table where we talk with advisors who have reached the MDRT quarter of the table or top of the table level about what got them there and um, they share their personal story. And the person who's sharing his personal story with us today is Brian Samuels, a qualifying court of the table and life member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. Brian owns and operates Highland Capital Financial Consulting in Scripps Ranch, San Diego, California. For over 24 years, or just about 24 years, Brian has worked with thousands of clients on planning and protecting their wealth. He obtained his LUTC fellowship designation with, um, from American College in 2002 and founded Highland Capital as an independent financial consulting firm in 2006. And in addition to his years qualifying as uh, an MDRT member, Brian has been recognized multiple times as a five-star wealth manager in San Diego. So I'm excited to be talking with him. Uh, welcome, Brian. Hello, hello. Pleasure, <laughs> pleasure, pleasure to be here. I want to start you in, in kind of funny place. In somewhere in your bio, you say that your father used to say that he put a nickel in your pocket when you went to school and you came home with a quarter. Now, was he exaggerating or did you have some kind of financial system? No, it, it was funny. I think my brother, on the other hand, he always had the, um, the needs and wants and uh, never had a dime. And uh, he, they were they, both my brother and my dad were always amazed by acquired um you know nicer things or or you know i'd save my money for my allowance uh and then buy a toy that was more than what my weekly allowance was well it's because i put put aside a little bit i may i figured you know a month or two of savings of maybe half my uh, then i could finally get that object that i desired so much and um i i don't know i guess i was always i was good in math and numbers <laughs> so it kind of led to that. Well, when did you decide that you wanted to help other people with that? Well, um, you know, it's it was my desire to help people. I kind of had an entrepreneurial mindset, and it just seemed naturally to pursue a career in financial consulting. Um, I found there was a lot of people who were successful in the in, in the financial industry, whether it was banking, insurance, or investments, and um, you know, I. I, I decided that that's an area that I need to pursue. And so first thing I did is say, well, what are my options? What are the companies? Who are the biggest players? I had the entrepreneurial mindset, but I figured, you know, I just wanted to take the Nordstrom's approach. You know, I, I wanted to learn from the best of the best um, and literally picked up a phone book and started looking as a consumer would. and. I saw State Farm, I saw Farmers, I'm like, well, geez, everybody needs insurance, right? That could be a great door opener. I was interested in the real estate industry as well. 
And uh, the timing wasn't uh, quite right for that. And there was upfront costs of being involved to be a real estate agent. And then brought me, kept bringing me back to Prudential. And Prudential's got real estate. They got homeowners and auto. They have, I didn't know what life insurance was. <laughs> um, and uh, I figured, let me get started there because then I can maybe pave my path as far as learning this industry and figuring out what, what's my niche. And I actually went through a process of interviewing them. Um, little did I know that they were also interviewing me, which, you know, when you go to the larger companies, they do have a lot of capital that they can invest in their training, which I later learned. And um, I believe that led to a lot of the success that I have today. I'm assuming you started building your practice the way everybody does, but but tell me how you went about it. It, it wasn't it wasn't instant success. Okay, the, um, so it, it, there's a part there of getting to where I felt confident and comfortable, and realizing that it's not the company; it's um, it, it's you. Clients are buying you. And you are the product. And I know that there's a workshop on that too. That to someone I think uh, to steal their phrase, you are the product. Yeah. And I was fortunate to reach out to the top producer of the whole company, and we actually created what's called a mentorship program, which is the way Prudential actually trains a lot of their new agents today, and it stemmed down to other companies as well. And um, it, it led to where he was using interpreters to help other agents across the country it's to get to the mdrt level and um you know we could talk more about that but the idea was is um he would get the bonuses they otherwise wouldn't because they hadn't reached that level yet but um we're both uh, have gone off on our own and i saw it as going independent was the idea is i didn't want to be a sales rep to any one company and the companies always have their flavor of the month. It's long-term care. You got to push long-term care. We know we got to do life to focus on term. We got a new product, our mutual fund. Now we've got a fund and fund, you know, it's always, you know, they're pushing the flavor and it comes back to, you are the product and the clients are looking for solutions. Back to that day that I opened up the phone book and found Prudential. Um, you know, people don't really buy that way. They're not saying, I want to get that get rich mutual fund. No, they don't go say, hi, geez, I really need life insurance. You, you've got to put yourself back in the consumer's perspective and they're looking for solutions. And so I knew that in order to be competitive, I didn't want it to be the product. I wanted, I wanted to have the open architecture. And I had a local GA that was in town that was, um, they were really focusing a lot on the, the Stoli cases and premium finance. And they were able to help support me in a very hard to case place underwriting scenario. And that opened my eyes. It made me realize that when you have options, you can get a lot more done. You know, at some point, you've got to fish for your own clients. And I'm curious about when that started to happen and what you were doing to get clients. Right. So um, that was going independent. It was like starting all over again. There's very little that you could take with you. 
I mean, you only have a handful of clients that follow you. Um, there's compete clauses and everything. And I had a friend in the technology industry, it's like wanting to do his own outside business activity of uh, hosting websites. And he came to me and it's like, hey, Brian, how would you like to have a website? I'm like, great, sure. Yeah. You know, who wouldn't? And here was an opportunity. Little did I know how much work it is and how difficult and challenging. And I actually started um, subsidizing the traffic by buying leads. And I really embraced online marketing and term life insurance leads. Took the attitude that, um, listen, everybody out there, give them the options that are available to them. Help them facilitate what they're looking for. And um, I'd be frank with them. Say, I'm hoping that you might be a client. Right now you're a customer and I'll roll out that red carpet. But here's what I can do for my clients. My clients, you know, I handle everything. And you know, that might not be today, it may be in the future, but you know, it's the idea of understanding the difference between a customer and a client. And nowadays I don't chase customers at all. Um, and marketing has changed quite a bit on the internet space. And I'm retaining what I have more with clients. It helps to have auxiliary income, and I mean that from other sources. That's why the assets under management really help, um, which I built from scratch from uh, a few years back. It's, it's, it's turning those customers into clients, getting their accounts, rolling them over, and um, building that, that trust and rapport. Um, you know, service leads to that trust, um, but serving clients is and serving people is what leads to the success um, products are only a, a part of the solution i'm curious about how you source them but it, it seems like once you became independent that's when you started growing towards uh, mdrt level what specifically were you doing because people want to know like well what kind of prospecting were you doing you mentioned online you mentioned all these other things what was really working for you to, to grow your business? Well, I, for me, the growth was really when I got the quarter of the table. Um, MDRT happened back at crew. It was from that initial mentor. Um, and to get to the MDRT, I would focus that was mostly on having a story and being able to keep it simple. Um, having a something that's repeatable that you can do. And my mentor um, introduced the human-like value approach. And it, it, if, if handled appropriately, it can really master the fact-finding in a more personal conversation rather than, okay, what's, what's your goal in five years? Um, and how much do you have in this account? How much do you have in that? It, it becomes so impersonal. and really it's simple if I were to share it, it um, I think that someone who's watching this can really take away it, it, that was the key thing that really turned things around it's just going to people and you know we, we would explain that you've got insurance for your car if your car were to break down and you've got insurance for your home if it were to burn and you've got health insurance you wouldn't think of not having insurance for any one of those um, items. But what we do as financial advisors is we ensure 
that you're able to maintain your lifestyle or that your loved ones are. And as we look at the overall picture, the question is, how much money do you need to sustain that lifestyle? And get people to look at it from a number standpoint. What is your lifestyle requirement? Last night I was talking to a client, we broke it down. They had a modest needs of maybe $60,000 a year. I said, great. They thought they had too much life insurance. They wanted to lower their life insurance. And they have a million dollar policy. Very few policies I sell are under a million dollars a day. Um, and I explained to them, I said that, you know, you're in your 50s, uh, making $60,000 a year. What, do you, what rate of return? Throw it back at them. What rate of return do you think that you can get your investments? What have you seen? You know, fixed rate, maybe 3%. Stock market, 7, 8. Give me a number. And make them think about it. Let them give you a number. And typically they're going to come in somewhere between five or 6%, maybe four. And the funny thing is, is we know as advisors that if you plan on much more than four or four and a half percent, you're going to run out of money at some point. And you can explain that to them to reassure where, what that number is. Simply take that income and divide it by that percent and say, there you go. That's our goal. You need a million dollars. And then they agree with you. And now you've actually can piggyback in. If we had a, and I draw a box and I put a dollar sign on it, this is like your account. You need a million dollars to sustain that lifestyle. What do we have if we had to fund that box today? And so that's where the fact finding gathers. What assets do you have? What do you have in your retirement plan? And start writing it down, filling, putting those numbers in the box add them up at the end, here's your shortfall. If affordability was not a factor, would you like to know that that would be covered for your family? Who could really say no, but there is a few people who have. And it's great to have that discussion with them because don't assume that everybody wants to because some people think if they have a million or $2 million, they can't sleep at night. They really don't give a shit. <laughs> I can say that. You can probably edit that out, <laughs> but um, you know it, it, it's it's true. I mean, it, it's good to know what you're dealing with and say, okay, well, tell me, Mister Client, um, how long would you like to know that this income is guaranteed? Because people buy life insurance for they have to have two qualifications. They have someone's going to suffer from their loss, and they care. Mm. And I'm not going to judge you if you don't care because, you know, quite frankly, and I'll quote a client of mine who turned around and said, what do I care? I'm going to be taking a dirt nap. <laughs> dirt nap. Wife, let me tell you, the wife, I never saw some a, a sale happen so fast. The wife said, <laughs> shut up, sign that application. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Oh. Of advice on how to conduct the interview, how to conduct the first call with a client. How do you get those clients? Where do they come from? Well, when I left Prudential and built over, it was buying leads. Um, and then companies, the lead companies were getting bought by 
Yeah, they were getting bought by Bankrate.com, bank rate, bank rate bought a few of them. And um, I would find that my lead volume, and I would just hit the demographics of the area around me and basically say, here's the value add. I could sell you this policy over the phone, but who knows, the policy could be contested because you haven't actually met with a licensed insurance agent. Let me help facilitate this. Whatever you want, Mr. Client, I will come to you. We can meet at Starbucks. You can come to my office. I'll come to your house. Whatever you're comfortable with, you're the customer. And so I would, you know, I would have at least somebody who was interested, but it did change. It went from where I was getting about 30 to 40 leads a month to over 100. And I thought at the time that, geez, I can expand and start offering um, leads to other agents and, and help mentor them as I was. I, I couldn't handle the lead volume and the quality went down. And next thing I know, I was finding that a lot of the marketing that was being led was when I hate to pick out companies, but bankrate.com, we all know about them. They partnered with Publishers Clearinghouse, and we know who Publishers Clearinghouse is. They get people to do surveys, and they coach them on, and you're going to get either a free iPad or maybe $5,000 a week. These people aren't interested in buying life insurance. <laughs> and you know, and, 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 and I, I found that out by somebody honestly says, why did you fill out this this information that came to me saying you want life insurance, I'm not going to, you know, hold it against you. And I found out, you know, opportunity to win a free iPad on social media. All right. All right. We can't, we can't try to convert that into a sale. I ditched it. And that's why it's important to have more than one marketing source. My other source was, I started looking at my biggest sales and where they came from went back to my clients and asked them um, who they know. I know it sounds so cheesy to say that because it's like asking for referrals. Um, and it wasn't so much that. I was trying to find out who their CPAs were, who their accountants were. I actually went back on the social media and started looking in the area of who other advisors are and reaching out to anybody and everybody that could be a potential center of influence, not asking for referrals, saying, how can I help you? You know, I have reached a level of success, um, but I think that we can maybe learn together, um, you know, share struggles um, and challenges, and just have a cup of coffee as business people. And where can I help you? And what I've found is helping other CPAs or advisors simplify their clients' goals and objectives. I've changed my entire marketing to goals and objectives, and that's really what Highland Capital Financial Consultant is based on. As my outside business activity, my entity that I own and my wife is a shareholder as well. It's not a registered entity. You know, we know in their industry, I can't um, have my broker dealer pay the commissions to my corporation. Why? It's not registered. Well, it's purely an outside business activity. It's a licenses and only direct revenue is what I pay it. 
and what it gets from insurance companies is overrides. It's an insurance company. It's an insurance agency. It, but it does so much more than that. It's doing financial consulting, which right on FINRA's website is an unregulated industry. So we have to hold ourselves responsible. Um, and as the practitioner of Highland Capital, I have many licenses. I have my securities license. I have my investment advisory license. Um, could I hire other insurance agents? Sure. Will they have those licenses? Maybe, maybe not. Do they have to be part of my same broker dealer? No. It's an outside business. So when I turned around and built my website and designed it, everything that said investments gone. Everything that said any product gone. The pictures that you'll see on it are like what I was sharing with you earlier. It's about goals. It's about, you know, when you think of retirement, what do you think of? The insurance company's got it all wrong. It's, you know, they're showing old people. You know, no, show somebody who's more mature, who's out on a sailboat and having a great time or fishing or something. That, you know, you know that was living the retirement. I've got a client who I've asked him if I could use his picture where he's just kissing his wife. And it's just the most loving picture. And I helped him retire young. I mean, he was like 58 years old. And so... He's not your old wrinkled person that they're thinking of that the insurance company's picture. I mean, not to say that we don't all have some wrinkles, but it was, it was a picture of, of just happiness and love and, and that radiates success. And that's something that the clients can relate to. So it's back to focusing on those goals and objectives. What is it the client's trying to accomplish? And then as somebody who's been in this business, who's got all these resources and what can we do to help them get there? Okay. So you give up lead purchasing because you see that it's not working the way it once did. And you start this campaign to reach out to centers of influence and the, the approach that you use, uh, which I always recommend is how can I help you? rather than, hey, let's get together and trade leads because that, that just doesn't work. And that seems to have worked for you. What else did you do to bring in clients, or are you still doing? Well, I found a way to structure a very simplified financial plan. And I found that CPAs are as we know, the trusted advisor, but they don't have the time to really do financial planning. Their clients are coming to them and they can't turn them away, but they're not going to really implement it. And so I position myself when I'm talking to a CPA is let me be your back office. That you, are, you, Mr. CPA, are my client, not your clients. Your clients will always be your clients but you are my client, I work for you. And it's, it's hard to take, you know, here we're taught to be that quarterback to handle all things financial, but position that CPA where they're all things financial and that you're just doing some information, some fact gathering, and um, you'll get back to the CPA with what your observations are and your recommendations. 
And then whether the CPA wants to proceed or not with their client with those observations or recommendations, that's entirely up to them. And I've created a report that basically is like a balance sheet. Here's what I found. Here's what's in their retirement. Here's, you know, what their goals are. You know, the, the tough questions that, let's face it, CPAs are not trained to talk about. And it's not something that's training. It's just not in their persona. I mean, people become accountants because they're good at crunching numbers. And they're, the IRS is their salesman. <laughs> you know, um, the touchy feeling questions is just not in their blood and if you can work for them because that's what we do and help get that information and it's not taking the CPA's time up because that's the only thing they have is time they can only make more money by seeing more clients there's a plateau in how many clients they can see yeah, that's a brilliant approach. Make the CPA your client. When you hit top of the table, was it something you were trying to get? Uh, uh, quarter of the table. Was it something you were trying? I like. I like the. Uh, I like the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that. Too. <laughs> but when you hit court, was it something you were trying to do, or did it just turn out that? all of a sudden I'm doing more business because I'm doing this new kind of marketing that seems to be working great for me. And here I am. Honestly, it just, it, it, it happened. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, MDRT was early on was the goal because without that, you're going to fail. I mean, it's, it's like a baseline. I mean, you, at least in Southern California, there's no way you can support a family, no way you can support yourself if you're not at that level. And, you know, you compare to any other business or career, I mean, that's, that's just putting you where you need to be. And then the next step is like, well, how do I better my lifestyle? How do we grow? And honestly, it was when I started looking at the different calculations of the MDRT, once I became a life member, it was like, okay, well, this is my way of giving back. I kept, you know, filling out the um, MDRT um, applications and continued with my membership. And then I looked at the, all the different carriers that we get the reports from, and it's extremely convoluted, and there's different ways of calculating it. And I realized that based on premium and the new business revenue from AUM that the table. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you weren't really looking for it, but you watched your numbers grow and, and it struck you, whoa, I'm quarter of the table. Yeah. 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 It, um, it, it, it definitely didn't feel like it because it seems like the more you make, the more you need and the more expenses you have. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You get to court now, and it wasn't necessarily a goal, but you were growing your business, and you got to that point. And how long did it take you? I mean, you already were in MDRT. How long did it take you to the first time you qualified for court? So 2013 was the court. I was in uh, 2002 was my first MDRT. 
I started in 96. So oh. I was, yeah. So oh, I, didn't realize I, know, I, look, I look young when I first started in the business. <laughs> People looked over my shoulder and wanted to know where my father was. And that's the other story. Funny, my father actually followed me into the industry after the five years being in it. Um, and now he's recently retired. So that also helped a bit because I bought his book of business from him on the investment side. And because he was not an, an, an RIA, I was able to convert everything from trails to RIA all in one shot. So I quadrupled the revenue that he was getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the way it works for a lot of people. Are you working alone now or do you work with other advisors? Majority of my business is my own personal production. Yeah, which is great, you know, that, that you got to a quarter of the table with your own personal production. You explain what you did differently in order to get to a quarter of the table, um, but you got to qualify every year. Uh, and the question is, how do you keep that going? Being persistent, not changing the process. I mean, um, again, the continuation of AUM um, helps, but honestly, I don't want to make that kind of dilute it because that's probably about a third of my income. Um, you know, I did on the, on the brokerage side, um, started doing more. When I went independent, I started doing more trail annuities. Now, even with the fixed annuities, I'm looking at more trail paying fixed annuities. The, when I went independent, having so many different product lines, I wanted to have my own fiduciary standard that I came up with is telling the client, I know that I'm going to get paid the same ongoing 1%. And I don't care if we go into a fixed annuity, a variable annuity, manage money. It's it's it, it's it's the process because they want to know how we get paid, yeah. and it over yeah. and, and 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 I never gave up on the life insurance side, and the life insurance is probably at least another third or more. No, it's it's at least half of my revenue that comes from uh, life insurance, and um, you know it's just it's all the the, the strategies that we've learned on leverage. And, and being able to help clients realize the leverage that life insurance has. And there's so many stories that we can go into on sales ideas with that. <laughs> if we rolled you back to 1996 and you had an opportunity to do it over again, what would you do differently? I actually wrote that one down last night and I was trying to, my wife kept saying, come on, go to bed, go to bed. And it's like, that's probably, one of the hardest questions that I had because there's a lot that I wouldn't do differently. Um, there's, it, it's understanding that there's a lot of series of ups and downs in this business, especially starting out. Um, and going independent sooner, I think would have helped. It's, it's something that's fearful um for many people yeah and i believe that the captive agencies i don't want i want to take it wrong they have a purpose but they do hold people back and it's too much control um 
when you can be your own business owner and business decision, start thinking like an agency. Um, and if the captive agencies allow you to do that, great. But that was that was the thing is if, if I just took the leap um, sooner um, as far as going independent, um, just remember to always lead with solutions. Don't push the products. And um, that, that's pretty much it. It's just, it's hard. I think things probably took longer just because of the ups and downs, but we, we can't control them. Uh, <laughs> when you get that big case, because one case alone can make you million dollar uh, MDRT, uh, can make you court, one case can do it. Um, and when you get those elephants, it's about being a smart business person. You really have to think like a financial advisor more than an insurance agent, more than an investment advisor. And what I mean by that is if you have a wealthy client, they don't want to see your insurance company financial plan. They want to talk about, you know, how much should they have in reserves? Um, and how can they leverage things and, and how to take a look at over their overall assets. And you need to do that on your own as well. And when you get that big case to stretch it out and put a bit portion of it away to figure for the next 12 months or couple of years, um, you know, reinvest it, reinvest only a portion back in your business. Don't spend it because otherwise, you go out and you buy a new car, you congratulate yourself, which don't get me wrong, you need to reward yourself when you get that, but do it as a percentage. Tell yourself each big case that I get, I'm only gonna give myself 5% spend on discretionary stuff. Uh, or you know, you know, pick a number, but have the bulk of it go back into your reserves to run your business. Did you pick a niche did you pick a type of client uh, or is it really dictated by the cpas that send you business um i don't want to say that there's been really a niche um other than the niche is kind of uh, the goals and objectives having the story and being able to help you know it, it the idea about niches obviously is you can repeat the process and you know the customer and you have a better idea of the outcome. Um, but that doesn't necessarily relate to, okay, you have to only just focus on doctors or you only have to focus on people um, of a certain ethnic group or whatever. You know, we all are people, we're people who care about our families. And I would say more importantly, back to that thing, people buy life insurance for one, they have two qualifications. Someone's going to suffer from their loss and they care. So it's, it, it's people like that who have um, a care of where they're going and um, wanting to know that they have a path and helping them, my niche is helping them understand what their goals and objectives are and identifying them and working together to get them closer to that. Being their personal coach, their financial coach is what is, is my niche. Yeah. What's the service? Once, once I've done the planning, I've shown you what you need to do. Uh, how do you serve those clients? You have to, if they're, again, 
clients or customers? <laughs> well, we made that distinction in the beginning. Clients. Yeah, and, and, and just as we stumbled on that, as you know, we've been in the business, we forget that. And you know, clients are just they're gone. They're I mean, they're 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 a name. They're really they're they're they only become a customer. Uh, I mean, they become a client. Um, I had that backwards. <laughs> Customers <laughs> come and go. Clients you have a relationship with. Yeah. And how do you keep that relationship going yeah, as much? It, it's ongoing. So you you know, you you have an obligation to at least get together with them once a year, right? Um, especially if you have their assets under management, any type of investment, you have to just review with them um, once a year and tell the client that, that that we will want to get together at least annually to review things. You know, sometimes it might go longer and you may not feel it's necessary and we can just pick up the phone. Um, but other people would like to meet more often than that. And I've got clients that want to meet quarterly. In fact, some studies say that clients want to be contacted at least six times a year. Yeah, there are different studies on that, but more than once, definitely. And I think as, I think as an industry, we really we fail to accomplish that six times a year. So I ask the client, and then at, at the end of each meeting, I say, how do you feel about what we've gone through? Um, when do you think we should get together next? Um, do you want to get together more frequently or once a year? Or what's, what's the best scenario? And sometimes the once a year, you know, if that's all you do, you piggyback off that just by wishing them happy New Year's or, you know, a happy birthday. Um, you know, just send them a little note. Have a reason to contact them that has nothing to do with your insurance product. Do you have a CRM system for that or is there a way you keep it manually? So I, I like Microsoft Outlook. Uh, here I was telling you earlier, but my nightmare is with Microsoft, but I do do keep Outlook on there, um, and you know, just any software has got you know where you can put like reminders or tasks, and birthday reminders, and things of that nature, as just a simple contact, happy birthday, you know, thinking of you. You know, how lucky are you to have a birthday in the rest of the world and celebrating with fireworks, you know, you know, LOL, because it's, you know, 4th of July. And by the way, messages like that, we can text them to them too, right? Because it's not really a client communication. It's, you know, it's just a greeting, right? So, um, you know, anything like that that you can do, let them know that you're thinking of them. And... Um, you know, in fact, last night, I, you know, I reached out to a client that uh, says, hey, I, I ate dinner over at this deli, and I remember, I was remembering you, and I just thought I'd give you a call, how things going? You know, it's like, it has nothing to do with, you know, I'm calling to review your life insurance. Oh, geez, great. I can't wait to get together to go over my beneficiaries. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. I've been waiting all year for you to come. Yeah. <laughs> you get referrals from clients. Yes. Um, when they come, it they're almost never am I asking anymore. It's it's total surprise, um, and it's it's again the clients, you know call me up. I have people who call me and say, say, you know, you helped out so-and-so. 
and uh, it's so hard that's why it's such a funny thing to ask for referrals because the best ones come is when you didn't ask for them it's just making yourself referable yeah you have to earn it absolutely so top of the table do you think about getting there do you think about what's in the way for you um I'm sure it's someday I'm going to probably take a look at my numbers and calculate and just say, wow, I made it, you know, top of the table. My goals over the last two dozen years have changed because I've got three kids that are ages 9, 13, and 16. And so they're all in elementary, middle school, high school, and traveling and you know keeping my wife happy and the family and you know now i'm feeling the pressure that we have that sandwich generation with um, aging parents yeah that may be going to college so my driving thing is just how can i best leverage and create more forms of income and 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 that complement the business um and build many businesses if I can. Someday I think we will take a look and uh, find that I'm at top. That, that's great. Um, you know, if I can give back, that would be wonderful. I think my biggest goal, and I was thinking about more, is trying to figure out something that, that I have an idea, but something that would actually be revolutionary to help change our industry. Um, and because it's, it, it's so important that uh, what we do. Um, that let's face it computers are not going to be able to completely replace us they didn't replace the cpa they didn't replace a lot of other things so uh, it's just going to make our jobs easier better let's wrap this up with tips that you would give uh, a new mdrt member about how you develop the volume to get to court taking a look at your top sales uh, where did they come from work backwards um, you know how how do you recreate them go back to those clients don't forget them constantly do those reviews um, partner with another advisor and partner doesn't necessarily mean splitting cases but form a study group it, the study group is really I would say that helped me we kind of missed that you know I did get to MDRT and when I first made MDRT the first conference was in um, Nashville. And I remember sitting over near Opryland and a couple other advisors said, hey, Brian, come over here. Um, we'd like to talk to you. And you know, we share ideas. And what they saw a benefit in me is that I was new and young and fresh blood. These were more senior producers who were older, and they wanted a different perspective on things. And so being, being, what I've learned from them was the willingness to give back, to be open, to be vulnerable. As a study group, you have one philosophy, what what's happens in this room stays in this room. And it was like a men's club, if you will. Not that it has to be men. Um, it's, you know, it's just like, we're all facing challenges, ups and downs, and don't go at it alone. And what the study group that I found helped 
was when I had a very difficult case to place. It was my first real large case and the premium was going to be $89,000 a year. And before that, I'd be happy if I wrote a two or $3,000 a year case. And I was just ecstatic. Well, it went through underwriting. And as we know the story where it goes, and you know, six months later, they came back with, after fighting a D rating. And the study group says, you know, we have a GA that, we, that focus, focuses on just top producers, top of the table producers. Why don't you take the case to them? And within a very short time, they turn around and they got me a standard. And what opened, what opened up my eyes by the, them pointing me in the right direction was that you have options out there. I've learned some things. Um, you know, it's, it's just sharing and giving back and coming up with, you know, not just sales ideas, but, um, you know, how, how, how do we grow? What are some of the challenges we're having with our compliance, with our home office, with uh, marketing, with things at home? You know, it's, it, it's just really helpful. So that would be my best advice is to find some other um, producers that are at MDRT, uh, different walks of life that do things maybe differently. Like one guy was a PNC agent mostly. The other guy focused longly on long-term care. Another guy was more investments, and we share. That's um, that's been really helpful. We're talking with Brian Samuels. Uh, Brian, you've really helped us uh, a lot uh, in terms of ideas. I know I walked away with several myself. And I really appreciate the time you spent with me and with us uh, sharing your knowledge and your experience. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. If you wanna talk with me about your journey to the top of the table, contact me at sandychassellecom slash conversation. I'll see you at the top.